Hey folks, Joyce Vance here. Another busy week of politically charged legal news making the headlines. A federal grand jury indicted former Trump White House trade advisor Peter Navarro on two counts of contempt of Congress for failing to comply with a subpoena issued by the January 6th committee. Meanwhile, DOJ reportedly declined to charge Mark Meadows and Dan Scavino, two other former Trump administration officials who also refused to cooperate with the committee's investigation. In other news, a jury acquitted Michael Sussman, a lawyer for the 2016 Hillary Clinton campaign, of lying to the FBI, putting in doubt the future of special counsel John Durham's probe into the origins of the FBI's Russia investigation. Preet Bharara and I discuss all of this and more on the Cafe Insider podcast. Today, we're sharing a clip from the episode with listeners of Stay Tuned. To hear our full conversation and access all other Cafe Insider content, try the membership for just $1 for one month. You can do that at cafe.com slash insider. That's cafe.com slash insider. We look forward to having you as part of the Insider community. So the question about Meadows and Scavino is one that a lot of folks have been asking. What's the difference between Meadows and Scavino on the one hand and Navarro and Bannon on the other? And with respect to Meadows in particular, he's in a peculiar spot because people will recall, it looked like he was on the road of cooperation, providing a lot of documents and playing ball, and then somehow had a change of heart. But he couldn't undo the production of all those documents. So they actually got a lot of material from Mark Meadows, including communications and texts, uh, much of which has caused sensational news stories over the last number of months. Do you think that's the thing that made the difference with respect to Meadows? It feels like that was part of DOJ's calculus, but it causes me a little bit of heartburn. And I wonder what you think about this. You know, if you ask, if you as the prosecution or as the January 6th committee issue a subpoena and ask a witness to turn over certain documents that you're entitled to have, and they give you some and then they tell you, you can't have any more, whether you're entitled to them or not. I don't know that that qualifies as compliance with the subpoena, right? No, but I mean, remember what we're talking about is not trying to enforce compliance with the subpoena, which is a road you can go down through civil process and through the courts. And I think you're absolutely right. What we're talking about here is whether or not the noncompliance was so egregious and so intentional that you get charged with a crime and get sent to prison for it. And that's why I think maybe that's the difference. You know, I guess that depends on what's in the documents that you withhold, right? And nobody knows the answer to that. And then this statute here, this isn't a felony prosecution. This is a misdemeanor prosecution. It comes with, at least at the low end, minimal. But 30 days in prison is not something that I don't think any of us would want to experience. I think your point is well taken that this is probably the calculus that DOJ engaged in. The committee, of course, took took offense at that and issued a statement saying that they wanted an explanation. I think that this is one of those cases where DOJ's credibility and the public's confidence in DOJ would be well served if DOJ would find some way to actually confirm or deny our sense of what's going on here. It would be very good for the public to know why DOJ made the decision it made. Of course, I've heard speculation, sort of wild speculation, and I wonder what you think about it, that Scavino and Meadows didn't get charged because perhaps one or both of them is cooperating with the government in in some sense. Do you think that there's any reason to credit that? 
So you have raised exactly the two issues that I just made notes to ask to ask you. <laughs> oh, good. You I'm glad first. I asked first. <laughs> so first on the ex, on the explain more point, you know, I'm I'm sighing because it's just very difficult, and I write about this in my book at some length. That on the one hand, the Department of Justice wants to be very careful, not give things away, not give a preview of the evidence, not prejudice anyone, make sure that everyone has a fair trial if there's going to be a trial at some point. And so, you know, by nature and by tradition, and for, for many good reasons, the Department of Justice doesn't do a lot of explaining. And the great example of that, a transgression of that principle that generally speaking is a good one, was when Jim Comey did his press conference about Hillary Clinton and tried to explain why Hillary Clinton was not charged. This is not quite that, but, you know, it's parallel to that. And you can get in a lot of trouble. On the other hand, there are times when public confidence is wavering and there's a lot of confusion and maybe DOJ can say a little bit more. Now, the, the question really is, you know, for us who are being, you know, very mildly critical of the department for not explaining more so that we can understand whether the decisions are to be credited with being good decisions or not, is, well, well, how would they do it and what would they say? Maybe we can pause on that for a moment. Do you think it violates any Department of Justice policy or undermines any prerogative of the Department of Justice if they were simply to say a little bit more about you know, putting aside cooperation, which we'll get to in a moment, but if it's not cooperation on the part of Meadows and Scavino, just say a little bit more about their analysis. Maybe even say, look, they were more forthcoming than the other two witnesses, you know, we drew a bright line, a complete and total opposition to coming in at all. Would that harm any interest? So this is why I'm actually not being critical of DOJ here. I'm sort of writing a love letter to them about encouraging the public to have more confidence. I don't think that they can make a statement like the one that you just made. It's very fraught. I think you make great points in, in your book. You know, I actually wrote a, a Yale Law Review essay on this topic of DOJ transparency, but only about three people have read it, unlike your book. And my feeling is that DOJ has to engage, this DOJ in particular, in sort of a radical transparency, which is to say for DOJ saying just a tiny bit more than nothing. Because no matter what they do here, there's the specter of Jim Comey hanging over their heads and saying too much and interfering in ways. I think the way that DOJ has to thread this needle is to find ways to talk about process, how they do things, why they do things. For instance, why so much remains secret or behind the curtain without really talking about specific cases. And, and if you make those sort of process comments about policy and how you do things, people will be able to give them context. But it, it is challenging. The, the great thing is DOJ has smart people who are very good at figuring out how to do things like this. And I think this requires more than just, you know, me thinking off the cuff. This would have to be really a concerted effort at the highest levels of DOJ to think, how can we talk with the public about these decisions that we make without going too far into the area of discussing cases, but give the public confidence that we are doing these things in a serious and principled way. Yeah, look, you can say, I mean, I, I totally agree with that. And by the way, you know, I don't know what the thinking is. It's just interesting if people like you and me, with a lot of experience and have been in that building and in our own offices and have made these decisions, are a little bit confused about what's going on. Well, then the layperson has no hope of understanding it, right? But 
you can make generalized statements about how, you know, when we receive a contempt of Congress referral, here are the considerations uh, that we take into account when we do a totality of the circumstances analysis. We take into account the level of cooperation. We take into account the good or bad faith nature of the objections made. We take into account, you know, how quickly people have gotten back to us and how responsive the witness has been. We take into account, you know, these other eight or nine things. And then you don't have to say with respect to Mark Meadows, here's our internal memo that we created that weighed these factors. And we thought because five factors favored him and four factors didn't, we weren't going to charge. And so I, I, I agree with that. And you have to be very careful about particular revelations about particular witnesses and targets. But something a little bit more general to give some guidance to the public, I think would not be crazy. I think that's right. It, it's, it's a tightrope, that's for certain. So now on the second point, are they cooperating? You know, I, I don't know what that means. So there's cooperation with respect to the subpoenas themselves, which is the subject of what we're talking about, which is the heart of what we're talking about. Do you get charged or not? And so if by cooperation, people mean that Mark Meadows has now decided to make good on his obligation to provide documents and testimony, well then, yeah, sure. Um, you probably don't charge the guy, but I think we would know. I don't know why that would be secret. Right. Congress would cure the contempt, right? That's all that is. That's curing the contempt. And that's a form of cooperation. It doesn't make a lot of sense to me, but who the hell knows? It doesn't make a lot of sense to me that they have flipped in the sense of, you know, Sammy the Bull. And now having been very intransigent and having been referred for contempt, now suddenly because of the possibility of a misdemeanor charge against them, they're going to sing like canaries is it canaries? Is that the right bird? Whatever the bird is, against the former president of the United States. It doesn't make a lot of sense because the first thing to do in that regard is to provide the documents. I don't know why that would not be public. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I have not been able to figure out a scenario where that makes sense. You know, Meadows obviously has this voter fraud problem in North Carolina, too. So he could theoretically be looking at a little bit more time, and maybe the state folks are cooperating. I, I just don't see enough here to believe that they're cooperating with DOJ, but I'd love to be surprised. There's a phenomenon, and I don't blame people because a lot of folks just are frustrated that nobody seems to be held accountable and that subpoenas ultimately are not even enforceable. I mean, look, with respect to these people, we're talking about the Maryland Band. Thanks for listening. To hear the full episode, head to cafe.com slash insider and try out the membership for just $1 for one month. That's cafe.com slash insider. To the many of you who have chosen to join the insider community, thank you for supporting our work. <laughs>